You are listening to Holy Words from Holy Cross, the sermon podcast of Holy Cross Evangelical Lutheran Church in Nazareth, Pennsylvania. We hope you find these words a blessing in your daily walk with God. Please visit us on the web at www.holycrossnazareth.org or in person at 696 Johnson Road, Nazareth, Pennsylvania. Be thou my vision, O Lord of my heart. Don't be all else to me, save that Will you join me for a word of prayer? Blessed Lord, thank you so much for this opportunity to be together in your house of prayer, to receive the riches that only your word can bear to us, even yourself, Jesus Christ, our Lord. Bless us as we reflect now upon your scriptures that we may come to a right understanding and so with that right understanding, empowered by your spirit, live lives worthy of the calling to which we've been called. We ask this in your name, Jesus, for you live and reign with the Father and the Holy Spirit, one God now and forever. Amen. So I first started in ministry 25 years ago at a church in Michigan. I was the youth minister, and my boss was uh, my senior pastor, uh, was having a rough time of it. It was a very conflicted church. And when I say very conflicted, I mean the tires, the pastor got his tires slashed, conflicted. And all these years later, I still remember one of the stories he told us um, to begin one of his sermons. So an alarm rings on a Sunday morning, especially a Sunday morning maybe where you've set your clocks ahead an hour. (laughs) The alarm clock rings and out from under the cover shoots a hand that slaps the alarm down. Ten minutes later, the alarm goes off again. The alarm comes out again and smashes the, the, that clock down. The third time, it grabs the clock and throws it across the room. At this point, mom shows up at the door. John, get up. It's time for church. <sighs> Roll over with the covers. Ten minutes later, mom comes back again. John, it's time to get up from church. Let's get rolling. I don't want to. Ten minutes later, mom comes back to the door again and says, John, it is time to get up for church. Let's go. John throws the covers back and says, I don't want to. Those people, you know, they talk about me all the time. I am tired of going to that church. It is full of nothing but judgmental hypocrites. Why should I go to church? His mom looks at him and says, John, first of all, you're 45 years old. (laughs) Second of all, you're the pastor. (laughs) It can be hard to live as the body of Christ. Hard to live as the assembled people of God. Church conflicts are nothing new. Anselm of Canterbury in the 11th century compared the church. He was building a little bit on on Peter's letter in the New Testament. He compared the church to the Ark of Noah. You think about all those animals in that confined space for 40 days and 40 nights. 
And he said, you know, it's just like the Ark of Noah. If it wasn't for the storm outside, you couldn't stand the stink on the inside. I heard a statistic this week from another pastor who's a psychologist and works with pastors. 73% of pastors, 73%, three out of four, will be forced unwillingly out of a ministry at some point in their career. I imagine that people on the other side of this collar feel the same way and have had the same experience, feeling like they're driven from one church to another by this or that conflict. I rejoice that this church is not so conflicted, but it can be difficult to live as the body of Christ. And maybe especially difficult for us as Americans. All cultures have their strengths and their weaknesses. Sometimes your strength and your weakness are the same thing. Americans tell stories of rugged individualism. That's our go-to story. It's our, it's our own narrative as a people. If you don't think that's true, I'm going to imagine Hollywood putting out a best-selling movie or a, a top ticket earner that goes like this. A young person has a sense, a burning in, sense inside of them that they are to be or do something special. And they set out to do that. They face all kind of resistance from their parents, from their peers, from their larger community. And at the end of the movie, they discover that their parents and their peers and their larger community were right and that they were wrong. And they rejoice that someone had the good sense to call them out on it. I can't imagine Hollywood putting out that movie. <laughs> it runs too against the grain for us as Americans. So in this sermon series, we've been focusing on our isolation, the isolation into which sin has condemned us. And we've looked at how God breaks that isolation, how when we hide, he seeks, how he invades our narcissistic little worlds with his word, how he comes to us at his table of grace, promising with, to be with us even to the end of the age feeding us with his own inner life. But it behooves us, because our prejudice is going to be towards individualism, to think carefully about what the New Testament in particular, but the Old Testament too, has to say about how God has given us to one another in Christ. How God calls forth by the power of his word and faith in it, not just individuals, but a whole gathered body of Christ. We started our sermon series by remembering or hearing again God's first diagnosis of the human condition given prior to our fall into sin, and that is that it is not good for the man to be alone. We were not created to be solo creatures. In fact, human beings can only flourish and be healthy in the context of intimate community, particularly the intimate community of family. And when I say family, I'm not talking about the nuclear family. That's actually a tendency towards the kind of individualism I'm talking about. The normal experience of human beings throughout time has been to be networked in a broad and extended family. The picture on the left here is a picture of a family reunion in the United States in 1943. Picture on the right is a family reunion in India today. Most people 
will experience the gift of family in an extended network that goes well beyond just mom, dad, and the kids. But there's a problem. Coming to faith in Jesus Christ may cause divisions in that family, and historically in many cultures and many times it has. So much so that Jesus would say regarding family relations, I come not to bring peace but a sword. And he says, you know, wives will turn against their mothers-in-laws, and I kind of thought that was ironic because it seems like that's a standing joke. <laughs> Last week, our confirmands learned the story of Perpetua because last Sunday, March 7th, was her feast day, meaning the day she died in a Roman arena in 203 AD. She was a recent convert to Christ, had just come to faith and was being taught the faith when she was rounded up with a whole lot of other Christians and taken away to prison. She was actually baptized in, in prison. Well, in order to stay true to the Christ whom she, in whom she believed and who had claimed her, she needed to have, face divisions within her family. Her own father came twice. He was not a believer. Came twice and tried to appeal to her, just, just give the, the emperor what he needs. Worship him as a god and go free. She had to defy the father whom she was commanded to respect and honor, to stay true to Christ. This, in this famous oil painting of Perpetua, you see she's got an infant there. She was nursing her firstborn child. And in order to not betray Christ, she had to give that child over into the care of other people in the church before she was finally gored to death by a bull or then stabbed. Not a pleasant way to go. Because faith in Christ, faith in the truth, can cause division within families, the very first thing that happens to us when we come to faith in Christ is that God gives us a new family to be part of. Not meant to be in tension with our families of origin, but when our families of origin fail us and are conflicted, another family into whose strength we can lean. The very first thing that happens to you as a Christian is this. Whatever the Christian tradition you come from, whether you see baptism as the first act of obedience, a command to be followed by Christ, an ordinance, or if you see it as a sacrament, a gift of God given to the believing community, a sign of God's election, and a God, indeed where God is the actor, we are baptized into Christ. It is the beginning of our Christian journey. I love these pictures, these different traditions. Particularly the little kid down here in the lower left. Doesn't he look happy? You've never seen, until you've seen a full immersion infant baptism, you've not lived. That's a, that's a weird one. <laughs> we begin with holy baptism. And in baptism, we are united with the whole body of Christ, the very body which taught us the gospel story in the first place. So you can believe in God by going to the top of a hill and saying, there must be something bigger than this. You cannot believe in Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior until someone has told you the story of Christ. Whether verbally or given you a 
leaflet or a book to read. <laughs> and the very people who tell you the story then make you part of the family in, that they are made part of. You are connected with this whole new family, the body of Christ. Here's what never happens when you come to faith in Christ. Nobody ever baptizes themselves. You are baptized by the body of believers because be, by being baptized, you are united with them in their family. This is the inheritance ritual. This writes you into the family will. These are your adoption papers. You're united with the body of Christ that you may draw strength from them. In that body, everyone, regardless of age, are brothers and sisters because we all call God Father. We all participate in the sonship of our elder brother, Jesus, who is our Lord and our Savior. And this is true regardless of race. Something important to remember at this racially charged time in our country's history, you have more in common with someone who calls Christ Lord in Pakistan, India, South America, not to mention all the other places that may, in your own country where people have different skin color than you have with your next door neighbors who may share your skin color and your habits of life. We are united in this one body of Christ. As anyone who's lost a loved one knows, no matter how much you love somebody, no matter how intimate your relationship is, death severs that relationship. But this is not true of the relationship we have with each other in Christ. When Christ lifts us out of the grave through faith in his saving work, and that's if you look at the, the icon here, you can see Adam and Eve are being lifted out of the graves into which they've fallen. That connection is not severed by death. The church had to come up with a new phrase for this, for people like Perpetua, whose relationship with their family of origin was severed by their faith in Christ. They came up with the phrase consanguinity, which is a word we don't hear much in English anymore, but if you know your Latin roots, con means with, sanguine means blood. We are connected with the blood of Christ which far from perishing at death, leads us through death into eternal life. And so the word, while it technically means with blood, actually came to mean with ties closer than blood. We are more intimately connected with those who call Christ Lord and are, are one with us in the body of Christ than we are even with those whose genetic material we share. And there are gifts God gives us as members of the body. Because remember, as we talked about in the first sermon in this series, by our sin we not only hide from God, we begin hiding from each other. So part of what God is going to give us, part of what God, how God is going to break our isolation is by giving us back to each other. First of all, you're going to be given others whose gifts make up for your weaknesses. Secondly, you, there's going to be people to correct you, that is, honestly, to judge you, without condemning you. 
And finally, God's going to give this new family a mission whose objective is worthy of it, whose objective is heaven, that is eternal communion with the Most Holy Trinity. So the first gift, others whose gifts make up for our weaknesses. This is honestly what the first two readings are about today. Aaron was not just a gift to Moses who didn't feel comfortable speaking in front of him. Moses was to be as God to Aaron. They made up in their relationship with each other what was lacking in their individual abilities. 1 Corinthians 12 is all about this. When we come together as the body of Christ, you are a gift to the people all around you and they are a gift to you. In a world where we are constantly judged by our competencies, what a gift to be given relationships where we're not being judged for our lack. But wherever our lack is, we know God has supplied someone else with that strength and we are the supply to them. So we're given to one another as a gift. Secondly, people to correct us, that is, judge us, but without condemning us. There's plenty of judgment in the world right now, but there's no forgiveness following the judgment. This is why they can dig up things you said 30 years ago and use them against you now. There's no forgiveness. We all need correction. We all get off base. But we need someone to speak into our lives who can help us course correct without forever consigning us to the ash heap of people not worth considering anymore. In the 19th century, there were, uh, it was very famous, a lot of famous preachers. It was a time when you could kind of be a rock star as a preacher. And um, before televisions, if you wanted a, a ministry that went beyond your local church, you traveled, you went around, all around, and there was a very famous traveling preacher whose focus of his preaching was holiness, being fully holy, fully committed to God, fully surrendered to God so God could fully use you. And he moved from town to town preaching that message. Fair enough. He came to Manhattan to a very, very famous church where that also had a famous preacher, but that preacher lived with the people day in, day out, week to week, month to month, year to year, and they knew his faults as well as his strengths. Well, the visiting preacher came and gave a brilliant message from the pulpit. Then they went out to, to the restaurant together and they were sitting around talking, this, this preacher and the preacher who lived there and a bunch of others at the table. And the visiting preacher was waxing eloquent about how wonderfully God had used him and how he was working in his life and was getting rid of all the sin in his life and he could see his holiness growing. And the pastor who lived at the church picked up his glass of water and threw it in his face. Well, the visiting pastor stood up spluttering from the table and started cursing like a sailor. And the pastor threw the water and said, Ah, I see the old Adam still has a few handholds in there. <laughs> he didn't condemn him, but he made him see himself as he truly was. We all need that from time to time. Many people have, I think we're, we're children of the Reformation in this church. Many children of the Reformation have misunderstood the Reformation emphasis on reading the Bible and getting the doctrine right to thinking that what that means is the Christian life is basically an extended Bible study. We're like a book club that gets together to discuss things. But that's not the point 
It wasn't the point for any of the reformers, whether it be Calvin or Luther or Knox or any, or any one of them. The point of getting the doctrine right, of knowing your Bible, was so that you could be a Christian correctly. To know lots of things about the Bible, but to have a character that is not transformed by it is insulting to God. And it may even be, reading certain Bible passages from the New Testament, that it may not even be a saving kind of faith. As Paul says in 2 Timothy, this is having the appearance of godliness but denying its power. That's the last thing we want, folks. We go to the Bible not simply as a book to read and to learn facts about, but rather to see it as a platform for our lives wherein we are transformed and sent out into the world on the mission Christ has for us. As we say in the daily prayers of the church, by paths as yet untrodden, facing dangers unseen. This is why we continue to return to the Scriptures and be formed by them, and why we need the correction of others who are reading those Scriptures too to grow in our faithfulness. And finally, he gives to this new and gathered family a mission worth having. If you've ever done team building, if you've ever been in that position, you know that you can't form a team without a mission to accomplish. He gives us not just a mission, but a great commission. Something to be part of. A mission whose objective is heaven. When Christ was ascending to the Father, he taught us that mission. Because here's, here's what the Christian life looks like. It's being forgiven of your sin. It's being healed of the wounds that that sin has caused you. And it is then to become more and more like Christ. It's a repeating pattern of that which we call discipleship. This is what life inside the church is, following faithfully after Christ. When Christ was ascending to the Father, he gave us that great commission which encapsulates those three things. When he said this, Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. What's really evident when you read the New Testament in the Greek, it's not as evident in English because we don't have a plural for you, is that these three verbs, go, make, baptize, are all in the plural. He's not commanding us to go individually and do this stuff. He's commanding his gathered body, all the people together, to go. And as we go, as we engage in having our sins forgiven, having the wounds of the, those sins healed, and finally becoming more and more like Christ by obedience to his word, as we go through that process, others will be drawn to it and made disciples as well. And we will learn to observe all that he has commanded us. The Christian life is always a life lived with other people. This is why when Martin Luther de denoted the seven signs of the visible church, one of them was the conversation and consolation of the saints. All of us are on the path to heaven together. A pilgrim people not pilgrim individuals. 
In fact, there is a saying from the ancient church which persists to this day, the only thing you can do alone is go to hell. If you go to heaven, you go with everyone else who's on the journey. That's why the heavenly Jerusalem is a city filled with a people. On this pilgrim way, Christ is with us even to the end of the age. But we are with each other as well. Somebody I love very, very dearly, a family member, once said to me, he said, you know, I'd like to go to church, but I just wish church was more about God and less about people and squabbling and nonsense. He wanted it to be a Bible study with no application. How do you learn to love like Christ if you have no one who rubs you the wrong way to love? (laughs) Because you rub Christ the wrong way, I guarantee it. And that story I told you at the very beginning of my uh, sermon, mom was trying to get the pastor to grow up. (laughs) We want to grow up in Christ. We want to support one another, be that gift to one another, and to do that we need to be gathered as the body of Christ. Lo, this last year, it's been nearly impossible to do that. But the time is coming, and soon when we will be able to gather again. And if we can't gather in large groups because we have health issues, we need to minister to one another. No one is meant to be isolated from the body, just as we're not meant to be isolated from God. In Christ Jesus, we are brought back together. Let us pray. Gracious Lord, You have given us an amazing gift as you have given us back to one another in the body of Christ. At times it's difficult to live together. At times it's a joy. But since family is always more diverse than friends, we ask you to help us have eyes to see the gift that we are to one another in you. Help us always to turn to you as our leader who is with us in our midst, being forgiven of our sins. Heal us of the wounds we cause one another through our sins and the wounds we cause ourselves. And finally, let us grow in your likeness till we may truly be the gift to each other you wish us to be. This we ask in your precious name, Lord Jesus, for you live and reign with the Father and the Holy Spirit, one God now and forever. Be thou my vision, O Lord of my heart, not be all else to me, save that thou art. Be thou my best thought in the day.